Welcome to the Mac Emerge Podcast. My name is Teresa Chen, and with me I have Kevin Dong, Brendan Trotter, and Joanna Dida, and we'll be your podcast team. Our goal is to connect all the McMaster-affiliated emergency physicians so we all get to know each other a little better. We have so much great talent and expertise in this region. We want to highlight it into one regional podcast. Each podcast features one invited guest to speak about their expertise or interests. Additionally, we will feature external speakers who have delivered regional rounds at one of our teaching sites. And don't forget about the residents. We'll be featuring stories about our residents and what they've been up to as well. All right, are you ready? Let's get started with this month's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mac and Merch Podcast. I have here with me um, someone probably doesn't need much introduction, but I'm going to have him introduce himself. It's Dr. Glenn Bandiera, who some of us affectionately know as the bandit and so he's one of our alumni and this is part of the alumni series so Glenn, will you say hello to everyone sure thing hi everybody and happy to be here and chat about my history in emergency medicine and my legacy of uh, things i've learned and carried forward from mcmaster and currently am uh, in toronto working as an emerge doc and doing some work with the royal college Excellent. Okay. Well, while we dial back time, when did you land here at uh, Mac Merge? Like, what was the year you graduated medical school, and where did you come from, and and then what did you do? So my first encounter with Mac Merge actually occurred in medical school, which I also did at McMaster, and it was a queer quirk of fate. I didn't even know emergency medicine existed as a specialty, and a colleague of mine in the cafeteria one day said he just had this great experience in the Emerge department. And we were in first year of medicine. And I said, what do you mean in the eMERGE? Like, were you there seeing a patient? He said, no, I was working a shift. And and I immediately got turned on to this notion of uh, emergency medicine because I went into medicine because I like exciting things and acute things. And I didn't realize there was a specialty where that's all you got to do. And so I set up an emergency elective almost immediately in my first year. So that would have been in the fall of 1990. And, and then I matched eventually to Mac Emerge and spent 93 to 98 there as a resident. All right. And so you were in uh, the program by yourself or was there any other residents in the program uh, with you at the time? No, it was just me over time. It was an interesting situation because my year was the first year that didn't have the option to do a rotating internship anymore. And the province was still trying to figure out this new system and because of funding and service issues at the time, a number of residents in PGY1 ended up going to Toronto for their first year. And I was one of them. So I actually spent my first year as a McMaster Emerge resident in Toronto doing rotations, uh, many of which were in Emerge. And then I went back to McMaster physically in uh, the July, I guess, of the following year. And when I went back, it was me carrying on through the program. In my year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, in your year. Okay. And were there people like um, one or two above you or below you in terms of your year or were you, were there like intermittently a resident here or there? It, it went from there being a resident here and there. And so I, I had two uh, very memorable and illustrious residents ahead of me in the program. And then from my year backwards, the number started to go up. So by the time I finished, we were getting three or four years including some uh, some very memorable and uh, very valuable IMG residents, which was new to the program at the time. Okay. I mean, you flash forward to now, and I mean, you teach in the U of T program, and you know of our program. 
they're two of the larger programs in Canada other than UBC, right? And so um, how times have changed, right? It's probably still, it's just, I, I can't imagine being a single resident in my year. It, like it was such a different experience, I guess, from even my time to yours. And there's even more of them now in, in all those programs. So that's super interesting. And so you ended up doing like and concentrating and kind of focusing on medical education as a career. Obviously, you're one of my heroes in medical education and emergency medicine. And I've always looked back up to your career. But can you tell us how you came to think about that as a career option? Like, how did you get into that? I got into education, I guess, just because my interests um, evolved over the years. And even before I did medicine, I was in engineering. And for a couple of my work terms, I functioned as a TA. In, in the engineering program. And during med school, I really valued the opportunity to be a teacher in problem-based learning and be a mentor to students. And then as a resident, I always had students around and I, I enjoyed talking to them and you know pulling them into various situations in the emerge department and so on. So it was something I had an interest in and I ended up being chief resident in the program. And again, because it was a bit of an intermittent enrollment situation we had, I ended up being chief for two years. And one of my jobs was to set the curriculum and run the half day and and do a lot of teaching. And I I really enjoyed it. And in my fourth year, my program director, Mark Ackerman, uh, who we all know and love at the time said, Glenn, you got to do something and no one's going to pay you to do a master's degree again, ever in your life. So why don't you do a master's degree? And I looked around and realized, wow, you can actually do a master's in education. So I did. And that investment, I think it was very helpful for me because it taught me a whole different way of looking at things and introduced me to a whole new population of scholars and and other individuals in and outside the health professions. But it certainly opened doors because about two years into my staff job, the opportunity to become the residency program director came up And being the only one who had completed a master's degree in education and somebody who had a real interest in it, I I think that was a big reason why I was given that job very early on in my staff role. And that really was the launch pad for almost everything else that's uh, happened in education for me anyway since then. Excellent. So you kind of started as new faculty and ended up as PD pretty shortly thereafter, it sounds like. Yeah, just a little under two years in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think sometimes the right job comes at the um, maybe a little earlier than you thought. And, you know, you have to jump for it. So I'm glad that you did. And so what was the program like at that time? Well, it was uh, it was very different than McMaster, of course. It was very, very structured. It was spread out over a number of different hospitals. But it was based largely at Sunnybrook and St. Michael's. Uh, both trauma centers at the time. And um, the program, I must say, had gone through some significant change and challenge. Within a year of me taking the job, we had an accreditation visit and we were put on external review for a number of uh, fairly large structural issues uh, and so on. And we had three residents a year. So it was bigger and more sort of stable than the McMaster program. So it all felt big and intimidating and complicated, but uh, I had a good roadmap. And that roadmap was the original version of CanMeds, which had just launched. And 
was sort of a new expectation for residency programs. And I picked it up and I read it and I thought, this makes sense. This is what we should do. And just started to introduce CanMeds-based curriculum and dealt with some other political issues that were problematic at the time. And uh, probably one of the most important things I did was write about it and disseminated some of the things that we were doing and tried to do some scholarship around it. And that sort of experimental platform that I had as a residency program launched other things down the road, uh, I think, because we were in a position to be able to tell people what we were doing. Yeah, I love that. And the idea that you kind of, as a program director, turned your residency program into kind of a living laboratory for really cool ideas and being able to publish about some of the cool innovations that you had. And that's, I think, pretty cool. Uh, And so any thoughts, what happened after that? Because you were PD for a little while. While I was program director, I, um, you know, continued on being an eMERGE doc, obviously, and was a trauma team leader for, for 10 years and started getting more and more involved in some of the other changes. And again, because we were able to implement some CanMeds-based curriculum and assessment strategies, we started getting calls to meet with other program directors and sit on committees and, and so on. And I took quite an interest in sort of the medical education governance and leadership roles and uh, eventually became the director of postgrad programs in our Department of Medicine, which has 19 different subspecialty programs and had that job for a couple of years until somebody talked me into applying to be the chief of emergency medicine at, uh, at St. Michael's Hospital, a role that I felt was um, not compatible with continuing on as program director. So I had to step down from the program director role, but I did manage to keep that Department of Medicine role because it wasn't as direct a conflict of interest as the chief program director would have been. So for a little while, I I had both a hospital uh, and a university level position, which worked fairly well, at least at the beginning. So talk to me about that, because I think it's really interesting. You're not the only person that I know of in in especially emergency medicine, who flips between kind of academic leadership and clinical leadership. Did you find that there were similarities in the skill sets? Did you find there were jarring differences when you made that leap between one kind of leadership to the other? Yeah, there were both similarities and differences. I mean, hospital leadership is very, very different in the sense that the governance model is is quite different and physicians are very, very autonomous uh, within the hospital system. And the groups and the practice plans tend to have a fair bit of autonomy built into their governance structures. And you're not really working for anybody. Even as a chief, uh, I was not an employee of the hospital. So it was a very interesting sort of autonomous leadership role. But at the same time, you're still advancing an organizational strategy and, and trying to, to get uh, you know buy-in and adherence and compliance with all sorts of organizational issues. Whereas in the university, you're nested within a program that has a department head and reporting to a dean and so on. So it's a bit more uh, hierarchical in that sense. But where they were quite similar were really the personal issues, the struggles that people had uh, personally and professionally, how to manage the conflict. You know, if if two people are involved, there will be three different versions of what really happened. You know, th- those kind of typical leadership 
type things and, and developing some facility and handling those and dealing with complexity and trying to ensure that all views are considered and, you know, people feel um, that they have a voice and they're heard in, in decision-making. All of those things are very transferable skills. Um, so the ambiance and the atmosphere is quite unique, but many of the skills are adaptable. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And I think that kind of, you see that nationally, there's people that flip between both. I mean, locally, we have Elaine Pardon, who actually literally does both at the same time, although he's a site chief as opposed to actual chief. So there's less of a conflict with his program director job. But uh, I, I do see that he's not the only one. His brother, Kai Pardon, also flipped between, you know, clinical leadership and academic leadership. And we see that with like Rob Woods. He's done that in Saskatchewan. And I, I would say like Carolyn Schneider's done a little bit of both at, in her time as well. So I think it's been really interesting to see various people in their roles kind of exert their leadership influence and their use those interpersonal skills that we hone actually every day on the job. Because if you can cajole someone to do something at four in the morning, you probably have a pretty good EQ for how to get people to do stuff. And if you've conflict resolved between three surgical specialties to get someone to admit a patient, probably the same skill set, just slightly different application. Uh, <laughs> so I do think there's a lot of... Uh, overlap between what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, actually, and that those interpersonal skills that we take for granted as something that comes with our territory. It's not something that a lot of our colleagues and other specialties sometimes actually get to hone at, at the same level that we do because of the acuity and the, and the finesse and the timelines that we have. So I think that's always been interesting reflection that I've had is that I, I think it's why so many of our emergency physician colleagues have actually gone on to high-level kind of administrative jobs in various sectors. So what are your thoughts on that? Does that resonate with you? I think that's very true. Um, emerged physicians by nature, I think, uh, are good at dealing with complexity. They're, they're good at dealing with shades of gray and trying to think through uh, an individualized solution to a problem. And they realize that the world isn't perfect and uh, are often very very practical at uh, the solutions that they bring to the table. The, the problem we have, of course, is that we tend to be very impatient and we have short intention spans. So uh, it's good because we get interested in lots of things. The challenge, of course, is taking the time to kind of think through things systematically and realizing that sometimes it's better to get it right than get it fast. And um, that's uh, one of the challenges I think emerge docs have, but but certainly that multitasking uh, appreciation for complexity are, are are pretty key things that I think you know keep keep us involved in leadership roles. Excellent. Um, and so, flash forward, you eventually went on to actually become decanal role, I think, at U of T as well, right? That's right. Yeah. And what? So, what was that job? What was it like? And what? Why did you go for it? Well, again, I was very interested in um, in leadership development and taking on more sophisticated things. And, you know, I think one of the key elements of success, whether it's in clinical leadership or academic leadership, it doesn't really matter so much, is that you, you have to have a certain passion for changing something. Like there, there, there needs to be, you know, a focus for you that you're really passionate about, that you really want to make a difference in. And, you know, as long as you have that, then then you can bring all of these skills to bear to, to try to make that happen. But if the issues you're facing don't 
sort of pique your interest or get you charged up, then it's going to be a real grind because every one of them is just a problem and work and so on. So um, finding those challenges that energize you and, and, you know, the things that, you know, help you get up in the morning, um, figuring out a way to help address those uh, is, a, is a good recipe for success. So I, I was pretty um, excited about education leadership and, I really like the clinical leadership role in the sense that there were a number of things I wanted to do in our, our clinical department to make things better from a process and systems perspective. And I was really excited at trying to build a more academic department through some, some good recruitment and supporting some more junior faculty. And um, that were th- those were the things that really kind of got me excited about that. Um, and an academic side, I really was interested in moving forward with implementing solid systems of assessment dealing with some of our, um, you know, challenges in, in current assessment strategies and so on, continuing to work on the CANMEDS uh, curriculum implementation. So the opportunity to become an associate dean within the postgrad office came up, and it wasn't the full postgrad dean role. It was focused on assessment and evaluation, which were my things. So I was looking to sort of up my game a little bit. And and that content area, I thought, really lined up well with with, uh, my skill set. So I was successful in getting that job in in 2011. Uh, Leading up to that, my my wife and I took a sabbatical year and we actually went away, left left the country and traveled for a year and worked on a few projects along the way. But uh, it was during that absence, actually, that that job posting came up and uh, I interviewed virtually. Uh, I might have been the first virtual interview to set the stage for COVID-based CARMS process, but whatever. But it it ended up getting me the job when I came back in 2011. And about a year into it, I got sent to Mississauga to help build capacity for the new Mississauga Academy of Medicine. And that was an 18-month secondment. And then when I came back, because of a series of organizational changes and people leaving their, their term and coming back and so on, I ended up being in and out of the vice dean role in postgrad a couple of times. And then eventually when um, our new dean started in 2016, at that point, uh, there was one final reorganization, which ended up with me having sort of the entire postgrad dean role, as most people would understand it uh, across the country. And that happened right around the time my clinical chief job ended. It, I, I served two terms, so that that term finished uh, its natural course. So, uh, so it was a nice evolution for me in, into a singular, larger leadership role within the university. Wow, that's like such a journey that you've had. And so you said now you're working with the Royal College. So tell me about how that's come about. So again, I don't know, the theme here is I think life just kind of happens to me, I think. So my term as postgrad dean, um, it finished in June of 2021. And I was all lined up to take a year of administrative leave, which is part of the the decanal package that we get. We don't get a lot of benefits, but that's one of them. So um, I had a year of leave that I had accrued coming to me. So I thought I'll just use that time to figure out what I'm going to do next and maybe get back to some scholarship and some writing and so on. And then um, lo and behold, in the spring of 2021, the the job of executive director of specialty education was posted at the Royal College. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do that because uh, it's a great job, but it's in Ottawa. And I think maybe I need a bit of a break. But I got a few phone calls and people started talking to me about it and what they were looking for and what um, they thought the future held for the Royal College. And 
uh, again, I, I thought, wow, that really lines up with many of my interests and the uh, opportunity to have a national leadership role to influence medical education at that level, especially when it seemed like I may not necessarily need to relocate to Ottawa. And that, that was a, an issue for me largely because of my spouse, who's an academic physician as well. And, you know, my ongoing connection and affiliation with St. Michael's and some ongoing projects I had there. And, you know, I think uh, the Royal College, one of its its new directions is to think about things differently and to see itself as a national resource and therefore you know, having a major leadership position that's not necessarily situated in in Ottawa, like every other one has been over the years, was seen as a welcome thing. So that created an opportunity that I didn't think was going to be there for me. And next thing I know, on August 30th, I started my new job at the Royal College. All right. Well, sometimes life does happen when you're busy living it. So I love how it's almost like it's like there's some poetic justice that as soon as you're done one phase, like I think you're just more attentive and people, you're a known commodity now. So um, it might be easier to find these gigs, but it sounds like there's been a little bit of luck, just like it is when there's jobs on the market or people sometimes, <laughs> you know, like sometimes the right thing for you, right person, right house, right, you know, job, Um it, it, it's down to a little bit of luck. And so it sounds like you've had a pretty lucky life since you've left us here at Mac Emerge. And it's really awesome to see an illustrious alumni like yourself really flourish. So let's do final thoughts. Any final tips that you have for people who might want to either walk in your path or they're coming up to the end of residency or they're early in their career? Any pro tips looking back to say, what did uh, you know Mac Emerge give you or where should you go next? I would say that there's four things that come to mind and they align really, really well with the McMaster sort of mindset. And the first is you really need to take charge of sort of yourself and and your career. It doesn't mean that you have the ability to make every single decision and get everything you want, but, you know, thinking about why you make the decisions you do and uh, looking for the opportunities that come your way and having an open mind to them seeking out ways to skill up or get exposure to various things. Uh, Again, I didn't know anything about Emerge until someone mentioned it to me and I saw it in an elective and lo and behold, I liked it. I wasn't going to be chief. I didn't think I was interested in being a clinical chief until someone started talking to me about it and I was open to it and it opened an incredible amount of doors for for senior leadership levels, uh, jobs that I subsequently took on. So I I would say, uh, you know, take charge, be deliberate, Don't close the door to opportunities. Um, Keep an open mind. The second related thing is there's no formula. There's no right way to get from here to there. Um, Everyone that I know in leadership positions took a very different road to get there. I think the most important thing is to be on a road and uh, going somewhere. And eventually it'll, it'll end up somewhere interesting. The third is to really you know, take advice from multiple different perspectives. Um, you know, different people have different lenses. They will see different things in you. They will point out things you didn't even know about yourself and opportunities that align. And that's happened to me a couple of times. Um, someone would come to me and say, hey, I've heard about this opportunity and I thought of you. And I wouldn't necessarily have thought that. So um, so I listen when, when people say that. And sometimes they're trying to talk me into doing something, but other times it, it really is because they've seen an alignment there. And um Uh, it's important to to listen. And the final thing is, uh, again, I try to do a really good job at whatever it is I happen to be doing at the time. And that will, I think, speak volumes to, you know, the next uh, person who's looking to fill a role or or to seek a collaborator. Um, Having a reputation for 
following through and uh, doing a good job at whatever it is you say you're going to do is is important regardless of what the next step is in life. Wow, that's a really nice set of take-home messages, and I really couldn't have said it better. So thank you so much for summarizing the podcast. I love it when there's a good summary at the end. And so stay tuned for another episode of Whatever Happened to Them or (laughs) the Alumni Roundup. I'm not sure what to call this series yet, but stay tuned for it. And we're excited to have some of our um, illustrious alumni come back and visit us, at least virtually, to tell us about their stories since uh, residency. So thank you so much for joining us as our inaugural episode. Amazing. Thanks so much for doing it, Teresa. It's very exciting. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. We hope that this brings you new information and helps you up your game so you can deliver better patient care to our region. Remember, we are always looking for new talent and expertise to feature in our podcast. So if you're interested, please feel free to contact us at our email at macemergepodcast at gmail.com. We're also looking to improve your experience, so please submit your feedback as well. Again, thanks for listening. Let's all stay connected. Back emerge out!